Yeah, <laughs> but the, okay. the, the wife says With to Joaquin the husband, Phoenix, swing yeah. away, and, and okay, Joaquin yeah. Phoenix is swinging at the water glasses. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, a man with an astounding souvenir hot pants collection, my brother, Mike. I don't, I don't even know what that is. I'm going to be honest with you. What you have a collection hot of pants? hot pants. What are hot pants? They're like the little shorts that, that make everybody look amazing. And I think you look fantastic in them, I'm sure. I do have a lot of those. That is very yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. You know, those ones that are sort of really high cut. Make sure mm-hmm. you're showing off everything you're working with. That's right. And I, and I am. That's how I rock it these days. That's really what the kids are going for, too, these days. You know, we grew up in the baggy shorts era. Now they want a one-inch inseam so that your shorts are just way up there. And that's that's what I'm into. That's what I like. You sound so much like a grandpa when you describe that. It's hilarious. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, everyone, if the audio is sounding a little bit unusual today. I am recording from an Airbnb in New Orleans right now, and it's a little bit echoey, maybe, or a little bit off. That's sorry about that. That's just uh, that's the nature of a of a one thousand year old house here in New Orleans that I'm staying in. But this week we're going to focus on some other things, not the house in New Orleans I'm staying in, not Mike's awesome hot pants collection. We're going to focus on last week, which seemed like a little bit of a stagnant week from the Royals. And then we're going to think about trade targets. We're going to talk about who the Royals should be trading, where they might end up, and who we might get for them before we end up previewing this week's slate of games. Mike, what do you think of my description of last week as stagnant? I think it feels like they're all stagnant, but it's a very apt description, I think. When you're just becoming super used to losing, (laughs) I would consider that stagnant. I don't ever go into a game thinking like this morning I woke up and I go, boy, the Royals have a chance to win a series today against a good team. I never for a second thought that was actually going to happen. Like I wasn't going, oh, they're definitely going to win this series. I got a we got a good chance. Uh, I was psyched because it was John Heasley day. That was cool. I, you know, I was hoping to see Sal continue to heat up, which he did, but no, I was never like, oh, we got a shot to win this thing. That's ridiculous. Well, my notion of it as stagnant is just sort of that nothing really is changing. Well, there's a bunch of like stuff it, changing. There is, there is, but there's but, nothing changing that seems like it would impact the play of the team. And yeah. the things that there are was changing. one thing, and I'll, we'll talk about it later. I, I feel like there was one thing, and it's a very, very small thing, but we'll talk well, about it later. There are probably some things changing behind the scenes in terms of like the hitting coach working with players in different ways. There was an article out about how like their warm up for games, the batting practice that they do has changed. So they're having them do certain things that are more designed to help them prepare as if they're facing the type of pitchers they're going to pitch or they're going to face. And so, you know, they're, they're facing different types of pitching machines and that sort of thing, a little bit more intensive batting practice and warm up and that sort of thing. I would call so it that, more intentional intentional is a great word for it because you know it's more like attempting to do batting practice like what you're going to see in the game and that's to me a very obvious thing to do don't know why they weren't doing up to this point but it's slow moving type things that are changing and not like these quick rapid changes that a lot of royals fans are hoping for that bring up Vinny pascontino the fire calendar those sorts of things it sort of feels very stagnant right now what isn't stagnant is the roster transactions that are taking place. If you look at the what, what took place roster wise in the last week, the the pay the list is just miles and miles long. So many things happened, players moving up and down, going to the IL, coming off the IL. It was a crazy, crazy week for roster news. We'll get started with what seemed like the most significant, and that is Zach Granke was sent to the 15-day IL with what they're calling a right flexor strain. We talked about it a little bit on last week's show, sort of it happened on last Sunday. 
We thought about uh, maybe the, he'll end up bouncing back. Maybe it'll be a longer term thing. He's on the 15 day IL missed his most recent start for that. And so we, we are unsure where Granky will go from here. I'm not sure if this becomes a worse thing or if, you know, he ends up coming back in a couple of weeks and looks like the Granky we got at the beginning of the season. Who knows at this point, just hope he gets healthy as soon as possible. It's great to have Zach Granky around and doing fun things. And so at the very least it brings entertainment value. If he gets back off the IL. I did see one mention on Twitter that the team was optimistic that it wasn't too serious, but who knows? You know, they think that a lot. I don't know if they went and did an MRI. I don't know if those things took place. Hopefully it's two, maybe three starts that he misses and he's right back in there. That forearm elbow stuff is always dangerous. You never really know on that stuff. Especially when you're 36 or whatever. He's 30. He's 38. 38. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm 36 Um, and I hurt all the time. How about that? With all the moves up and down and all that sort of thing, we a couple moves happened that we were basically everybody knew would happen. Brewer Hickland was sent back down to AAA Omaha, and then Dyron Blanco was DFA'd. Now that means designated for assignment. That's not the same as being optioned. He had a little bit of a different route to Major League Baseball and signed as a free agent from Cuba, and so he doesn't have the same sort of options and things like that that everybody else has. And so he has to be DFA'd if they're going to send him down. He has to clear waivers. So every team's going to have a chance to sign him. I highly doubt any team signs him. I bet he's going to end up back in AAA and playing AAA ball for the Royals again at some point. But for now, he's open for anybody to take him. Kyle Isbell and Michael A. Taylor both returned from the IL this week, COVID type things for both of them. So far, Taylor's got a little more playing time than Isbell, but they are both back in the lineup occasionally. Along with that, the Royals traded for somebody. They made a trade already. We're going to talk about trades in a little bit. They made a a blockbuster of a deal uh, trading for Albert Abreu, a relief pitcher. They gave up uh, their own relief pitcher, minor league relief pitcher, and Johans Morel, although he might actually be a starter too. It's not really clear to me which ones he's doing right now. Morel had a little bit of juice a few years ago, but has some sort of flatlined as a, as a pitching prospect. There's some stuff there, but you know, not, not, a big, not a big ticket item to give up in Johans Morel. Abreu, I think, pitched a third of an inning today. Um, yeah, I think he gave up a, at least a run. I don't think he gave up any runs. He might have let in some runs. I think he, yeah, uh, I think he let in some in, runs that were already on base. Some inherited runners of Colin Snyder's today during the, during his outing today on Sunday, June 5th. Another interesting move, we sort of didn't know who would take Zach Greinke's place in the rotation. Chris Bubich has done it for the first start in this, in this um, cycle. And so he came out and pitched, I think, five or six innings. Five, I believe. Five innings. Didn't give up any runs. Didn't look particularly great, according to uh, <laughs> a lot of the reports. I only got to see spots of it because I'm here in New Orleans having fun. Um, and so we'll see if uh, he gets another shot at it. We'll see what people said. Mike, I know has some thoughts on Bubich's outing the other day. Yeah. And I talked about this. I put this out a lot on Twitter because Mark gave me control of the Royals weekly Twitter account, which was a huge look mistake. out so everyone. Way too much responsibility. It, someone call the FCC, me. call That's the FCC. Right. But um, I mentioned this. He, he, he seemed to, he, he, he didn't throw his fastball nearly as much as what he he usually does or he did earlier this year, he threw his change up a whole lot, like over 50% for a change up. That's a lot. And he had some results with it. Now his command was still really bad. Uh, It didn't really ever look like he knew where he was throwing anything. And so I put this out on Twitter. I said, I think what this really shows us is he's really not ready to be up in major league baseball yet. He hasn't improved that command enough. It's easy to change your pitch mix because you can just go out one day and decide I'm not going to throw as many fastballs, especially in the early innings. But he kind of used the fastball the way that we've talked about it in the past, 
where his fastball kind of needs to be like his changeup, where, hey, I've been throwing so much off-speed stuff that when I come at you with this fastball, it plays up higher than harder than what he actually throws it. And you do see this from guys right now. And people are wondering like, well, how is Jake Junis having that success for San Francisco? That's part of why he's having that success for San Francisco. He throws his fastball as an off-speed style pitch. Everything else is slider, change up, slider, change up, different type of slider, different type of slider, different type of slider. And then he sneaks a fastball by him. And so that's kind of what Bubich is going to have to do. He just has to have more command to do it or else people are going to sit for that change up and wait till he throws a bad one and start just yarding it. Yeah. And if you look at his baseball savant page for that game, if you look at the data from that game, he did sneak more fastballs by guys, I think, than changeups. I think he got, he got more swing and swing, miss yeah, he got off the fastball yeah. than on the changeup. And even though he threw so many more changeups. And so that might be the recipe for him moving forward. There were two, uh, some people have called brilliant prognosticators and commentators saying that this needed to happen, saying that he needed to stop throwing his fastball so much. And then he comes in and gives a post-game interview after that game and says, well, the thing I've really been working on in Omaha is throwing my fastball less. Hmm. I wonder. Like, these are not complicated things, but somehow the Royals cannot figure out how to do them at the major league level. It is one guy's responsibility, but yet uh, he doesn't seem up to the task at the moment. But good good on him changing up that pitch mix. I do hope he gets more time in Omaha so he can work on the command for all of those pitches because he can't be walking guys. He can't be missing with that change up right down the middle. He'll he'll get hit too hard. And so, yeah, good, if they good. know you're throwing an 85-mile-an-hour change up consistently, you better put it where you need to put it or else it's gone. Yeah. And so it's great to see him. It'll be great to see him work on his command a little bit more because it's necessary for him to have continued success. Bringing Bubich up also led to the optioning of Ronald Bolaño. So I wanted to throw that in there. We have not even come close to halfway with all the roster news. So I'm going to stop there because we did all the significant stuff. The Royals also signed a bunch of minor league free agents and did brought up and sent down relievers and stuff. It was a big, big week for roster news. Drew Parrish got the call up to AAA. Drew Parrish, my boy, got the crawl up to uh, Omaha, which is a little bit overdue, but pretty much right on time. I can't wait to watch some of his AAA outings. But uh, yeah, an interesting news roster-wise, crazy stuff happening. What can you say? It's June of a major league season. The Royals only managed to go one and five this week. So you look at the record and you say, that's a dark week. And if you look at Twitter, it looks even darker because, you know, that's where darkness is expressed most frequently. Uh, the Royals fan base is a little bit down these days. I'll say it was a bad week of baseball, but I can't help but feel like this team looks like a better team than the one that started the season. When watching the games, I see a team that is more frequently in the game that occasionally blows the game, but doesn't like look like they're completely overmatched like they did at times. They have more hitters in the lineup who don't look like they're completely overmatched like they did at times. And so it's interesting, the sort of, this is one of the reasons the team feels interesting to me is because their record doesn't necessarily match what it looks like their talent level is. Yeah, and I've seen some progress this week. We mentioned the pitch mix change for Bubich. That is, though very small, a very small amount of progress for him. If he's going to be a major league player, he has to make that progress. And so that's something Salvador Perez had much better at bats towards the end of this week, hit a couple home runs, a couple doubles. He looked really good. He took a walk today. Yeah, that's right. Whoa, a walk today. Bobby Wood Jr. Yeah. Bobby Wood Jr. Had two walks today. Uh, Melendez has a little hitting streak going, you know, it seems like there's some better things happening though. The results aren't coming in, but Luke, and, and this is what it says on the outline for me, losing every day sucks. It's, yeah. it's hard to stay positive. And look for those little things that are improvements when you're getting your butt kicked every day. 
Yeah. And you got to wonder, like, it's always, it seems like it's something different every day too. It's one of those moments, one of those stretches where it's like, if the bullpen doesn't blow the lead, then the offense doesn't score. If the offense doesn't <laughs> score, then the starter gets smashed. You know, it's like some, something goes wrong every day. And that's a consistency issue. You're bound to have a consistency issue when you're playing some guys who are inconsistent. Among, well, not inconsistent, <laughs> but they're, they're not just inconsistent. That, that makes it sound too good. Honestly, they are among the worst at their thing in major league baseball. Carlos Santana is the worst first baseman in major league baseball right now. You know, when you're doing that, when you're playing guys like, and this is hard because bullpens are volatile and all that, but Colin Snyder, his ERA is now over seven. You know, he's, he gets smashed when he gets a clean inning. Apparently uh, there are just things happening. And when it's as wildly inconsistent as the Royals have been, I'm talking like, you know, it's pretty good sometimes. And it's just the darkest of the dark others. Then yeah, it's going to be a lot of losing baseball because you have to be consistent to win baseball games. Case in point, a guy in Whit Merrifield, who we're going to talk about this week as a strong performer, he's playing really well lately, but uh, didn't help us much at all in those first 30 games. Mike, tell us how Whit's been doing for us this week, because it's looking a lot better lately. Well, when looking for strong performances, the offense wasn't a great place to go this week. No. But Whit Merrifield, there were a couple standouts. Uh, Benintendi continues to do pretty well. Uh, Sal was really good these last couple days, but overall this week was still pretty rough for him. Uh, Whit Merrifield's the guy that I went with because he did slightly better than Benintendi. Seven for 25, two doubles, one walk. That's about as good as we could say a good performance was this week offensively. I went to the pitching staff to see if maybe there was something there, but there wasn't anything I liked there either. Nicky uh, Lopez so put together an okay week for him. He had an okay week for him. Hopefully he can uh, continue with that because he hit a lot less fly balls this week. Which that's all, that's like basically all it's about. Exactly. Stop hitting the ball in the air, Nicky, and you'll be fine. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, we're going to talk a little bit later about Whit Merrifield as a trade candidate. So the more he can hit up that value, at least a little bit for a team that's looking to use him immediately to help in a postseason run. Yeah, I, w- I went to the pitching side. I didn't even try and go to the hitting side, knowing that that yeah, was And let me just say this. There. I definitely would have taken John Heasley. I know. About to talk about because obviously John Heasley's my guy. I, I know like that's John why Heasley. I took him. Uh, you piece of shit. I write the outline first. <laughs> I write the, I do my portion of the outline before Mike every week. And so I get to take all the good players and all the people I know he's going to want to take. And so, yeah, that's, that's just how it works. Early bird gets the worm, buddy. Uh, yeah. I'm talking about John Heasley as the strong performer this week. He just pitched today. Got a chance to watch that. That was great. So the great thing about Heasley is two, two games started this week, two quality starts, you know, just kept the key team in both games. And that was wonderful. That's all you really need from a guy like John Heasley, six innings pitched three earned runs in each game. He's still giving up too many walks. He had five this week in, in the 12 innings he pitched, but he kept them in both games. And that's all I'm really asking for from him. You can also see that if he stops walking guys, there's maybe another level for him. There's one more step that he can make where he can sort of be that guy who's maybe just a high three, low four ERA guy if he can figure out a way to stop walking people. But it was a good week for Heasley. If he keeps doing this, he'll be an extremely valuable pitcher for the Royals for a long, long time. And some of the runs he gave up today were running into the buzzsaw that is Jordan Alvarez. That mm-hmm. guy is so freaking on fire. It's it's crazy. So um, I think one of those runs was, really was a little bit def- a defensive problem from Melendez as well. It was like, I don't think it was called an error, but it was one of those ones where like maybe Salvi blocks that ball kind of a thing. And, well, and then the, I mean, the first run that they gave up was on that delayed steal, yeah. which they get yeah. out of the inning. If, you know, he ends up giving up a sack fly, but they, they don't get that if, if they, he doesn't get that delayed steal. So, yeah. So you know, this is one of those things like eh, a little ticky tacky, not really like giving up, 
runs runs. Now he did occasionally get hit hard to center field and got lucky yeah. that Taylor mm-hmm. Taylor was all over him. But uh, yeah. yeah, he's that type of guy. You know, it's it, it's going to be some stuff given up every now and again, but it's fine if he limits the damage. And he always seems to limit the damage, which is great from Heasley. One guy who did not limit the damage this week was a guy named Daniel Lynch. Mike, tell us how Daniel Lynch did this week. It was not great. Yeah, Lynch looked pretty bad. Four innings pitched, uh, more walks than strikeouts. He had three walks and two strikeouts in his uh, start against Cleveland. He gave up six earned runs against a Cleveland lineup that isn't great. Now, another guy that's red hot there in Jose Ramirez and is a great hitter. And then after really Ahmad Rosario, who was also good in that series, their lineup isn't very good. No, so it's bad. It's, it's, it's hard to see that, I guess, uh, for Daniel Lynch. So a little bit better command than what he showed in that start. And I think he'll be fine. His, his secondary numbers, his kind of peripherals still look really good. And so I'm hoping that that can continue and translate into more success on the mound in an actual yeah. game. Yeah, I looked it up this week. Lynch actually has, I think, one of the best 25, top 25 swing and miss rates of all starters mm-hmm. in Major League Baseball, which is great to see. That's what you want. You know, you like his peripheral numbers. It's kind of about putting it all together. It's kind of about having the right game plan, executing in the key moments, and then you don't get lit up for six runs in four innings. I think part of that is getting a better pitching coach in there, but we'll see. I, like, like, like I said previously with you, and I think maybe with Joel Penfield when I guessed it on um, one, one row away, we won't know how good any of these pitchers are until they get a pitching coach who can actually help them and has a track record of helping guys reach their potential. It's just too hard to know because right now they're not getting the type of coaching they need. Yeah, it kind of feels like they're all kind of doing their own thing. If you see Bubich never make that pitch match adjustment at the major league level. And then he's down in triple a for two weeks, whatever. And he comes back up and he's automatic. It's done already. What the hell are they doing? Could have easily done that in the major leagues. Could have easily done it. You and I were calling them for them to easily do it in the major leagues. It's it's like, I'm not a genius. I never pitched. I'm not a pitcher. I, I I was a position player. And so I don't, I don't know anything about pitching. And yet I called it for months before Cal, before he was sent down and Cal Edger didn't do anything. He was sent down. Dane Johnson changed it. And, and that's the exact same story we were telling about Singer however many weeks ago. And he got roughed up this week as well. But I, I don't think anybody's out there going, well, now he should scrap the changeup. Like, no, he's, got, he's still got to, this is still the answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, he just happened to get roughed up this week. Or, so, yeah, I uh, breathe, Mike. Breathe. breathe. I'm done. I'm done. Uh, getting pissed about Cal Aldred. Yeah. I, Royals farm report has said that they won't say his name, which I really think hamstrings them a little bit because God, I got to say his name. I got to, I got to, I got to put it out there. Uh, but anyway, we'll, we'll move on to something else that really didn't have a great week this week. And that was the entire offense. And so I just went ahead and put the offense for my week performers because I praised them last week for having such a good week. They were seventh, I think in major league baseball last week and weighted runs created plus they dropped all the way down to 26th this week. They did not have a good week offensively. They hit 231 for a batting average, 282 for an on-base, and 337 for a slugging. Now, you might think 26 in the MLB, maybe they had a really bad luck week. Maybe their bat bip was uh, was real low. No, their bat bip was 298. So you look at their bat bip compared to all the teams around them, it's way higher. <laughs> the other teams around them at the bottom of the league, they had really bad luck weeks. The Royals just just didn't hit well this week. And so... You know, I mentioned this slow process of things changing. I think slowly is how the hitting is going to progress under Zumwalt. You know, we see key moments of it. We see moments when, oh, 
That guy really waited for his pitch. That guy really waited until he could get something in the heart of the plate and crush it. Salvi, the last couple of days, has been talking about how he needs to lay off bad pitches and swing at pitches he can do damage to. The more we see them implement their sort of system, the more I think we'll see this offense start to get a little bit more consistent. But this week, it was not good. And actually thinking about that hitting coach change just has me thinking about my theme of the week, which is he who hesitates is lost. I think about the slow changes and the way the Royals are slowly becoming what I consider to be a better team. And it reminds me that one of the key factors or one of the key features, I guess, of a Dayton Moore run team is that it runs so slowly. And you can see at this point the ways in which hesitation in the past are cost is costing us right now. The fact that we didn't make a hitting coach change sooner, the fact that we still haven't made a pitching coach change, all these sort of things that were very clearly needed previously are still not done or, ha- or are being done just now. We hesitated and now we are lost. We hesitated, and now we're losing five games in a week. We hesitated, and now we're just waiting for this team to slowly turn it around as they get better hitting, as hopefully they decide to replace the pitching coach or whatever. It, it's all very slow. We hesitated, and that's his key thing. He hesitates all the time. He'll call it being conservative or taking his time. That's not it. He's hesitating, and it's crushing us sometimes. That includes with trading with Merrifield, trading Carlos Santana, all of these. We hesitated, and we are now lost. As a result, we have now lost, essentially, the 2022 season. And if you really want to think about the trade stuff, you're talking about lost value because the longer you keep going without trading those guys, the more value that they lose. When you're considering baseball players and, and a lot of times are your capital in baseball, you're, it's like handing away money every, every day that they're still on your roster. So that's hurts. Yes, I agree. One thing that, that seems to be like the primary example of this is that they start seasons really poorly. Oh, so poorly. And so like, you know, you'll go the first and they usually like, oh, you got to wait 40 games or whatever. Well, those 40 games count too. you know, <laughs> like those and count. That, and you after that, those 40 every year, those 40 after those 40 every single year, they're out of the, the season's over. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll start, start making four. moves after 40 games. You're done. You're, you're 12 games back or whatever. Four out, like, four out of the last five years, they have been out of the race after 40 games. And so yeah. it's like, whoa, okay, great. Make those changes. I guess it well, doesn't they, matter. They, like their justification is always, well, we want to evaluate in those first 40 games. You can't do that. You have to no. evaluate last year, major- off season, spring training. If you don't know th- what you're doing in those, the teams that do are going to kick your ass all up and down the field. Yeah. And so like, you You're think the Dodgers are waiting those... 40 games? Like you think <laughs> no, they're not waiting 40 games. They're evaluating constantly and they're ready to start winning from game 1. You know, that's the big difference. The hesitation is just it's killer and I love that you compared it to handing money away because I think more often thinks of the trade thing as like, well, I don't want to trade a guy and get $10 less in value, but then he's giving away $40 just waiting for Andrew Benintendi to, you know, it's, it, there's a gambling metaphor in here somewhere that evolves around like playing long shots all the time and stuff like that. I can't come, I can't think of it, but basically don't give a dollar away every single day for 40 days because you're afraid to lose $10 in a trade. Yeah. That's a really, really good point. Mine is I, I tried to keep it a little bit more positive for my theme for the week. And my, my theme is signs. You remember that movie by M night Shyamalan who doesn't who does he still make swing movies? swing away is that that one i couldn't remember okay i was like it's the alien one right That's yeah the but the, okay. the, the wife says to the husband, phoenix, swing yeah. away and, and okay, joaquin yeah. phoenix is swinging at the water glasses yeah okay all right that was now that i look back that wasn't a very good movie um but i'm see, you're seeing those signs you just have to squint really hard to see them 
Um, and I talked about that kind of with you're seeing more positive at bats from a lot of these hitters. You're seeing a pitch mix change. You're seeing guys go down to triple A, make some changes as pitchers, come back up and be a little bit better, uh, which really should not be what has to happen. But yeah, you are seeing some subtle signs of improvement, but it's happening too slowly. And uh, it's not obviously going to save this year. So. I know I know you said we shouldn't stay positive, but I'm disagreeing and I'm just going to do something different. Um, <laughs> We're going rogue here. We're going rogue. Uh, you know how you said, oh, it's wild that they're sending them down to triple. It is so wild that their major league pitching development is now funneled through their triple A pitching coach. It is insane. <laughs> this is the, okay. Just to let everybody know who doesn't follow baseball elsewhere. This doesn't happen elsewhere, right? It doesn't happen elsewhere that, Oh, this guy needs to work on something. Send him to triple a like, yeah, guys go down to triple a because they're not making it. They're not being successful, whatever, but it's not like, Oh, we know this guy has a problem. We know what that problem is, but we know our major league pitching coach can't help him. Send him a triple A. That guy will help him. You know, it's just, it's very weird. It's a very weird thing. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout-out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. Also, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. We're constantly posting new analysis and commentary, so check that out. It's early June, which for the Royals usually means it's time to start thinking about who they should trade. <laughs> I know, I know you maybe have some of the twisted notion like uh, the Royals shouldn't trade their best players away all the time. And though it seems counterintuitive, they actually should trade the, all their best players right now. <laughs> okay, they should trade some of their best players right now. The yes, extent- this, is the, this is the thing you hear, like, have you seen like the hashtag, like the guy behind me? People go to baseball games and there's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The guy behind yeah. me. This is the thing I hear every time. Oh, I go every time Kaufman. I go, I hear it. All at they do is trade away their best. Guys all they're anyway. going to do is trade their best players anyway. And it's like, <laughs> man, you don't know anything about how baseball works. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, the extend Benny chance and things like that are, they're cute. It's a cute idea, but it's about as realistic as the details of an internet chat room back when people still use those things. Uh, so if we're going to make trades, we should get back something worth having. Mike, Get us get our conversation about trades started. Who should we trade first? Where should we trade them? And what should we get in return? Oh, and, and for clarity, I just want to say for the purposes of this conversation, Carlos Santana will not be considered because I don't think they could get a used napkin for him right now. No, he's, Mike, yeah. who should we actually be trading? Okay, I'm going to kick it off with Andrew Benintendi, who's been the strongest performer of the three people that we're going to talk about this year so far. Andrew Benintendi has just the rest of this year left on his contract. A lot of people I know want to extend him, but I doubt he's even in for that. He's not. It has to to be both ways. And I don't know that you can spend that kind of money on a guy who's going to be your left fielder and be the kind of hitter that he is when you probably have some guys behind him who won't match his performance maybe, but will be good enough that you're not losing all that much. So the person that I went out to get, and I just want to explain how difficult this is to do. Mark and I are not going to get these right. These are not going to be people to end up with. Speak for um, yourselves. <laughs> all right. The, the, where you can maybe hope to get guys like this. Okay. But I, this isn't going to happen, but I want to do They're going to be spot sure, on. I'm sure they will be. So I, I take uh, Garrett Mitchell, a center fielder out of the Brewers organization for Andrew Benintendi. And for these talks and purposes, I just gave one player. Obviously sometimes there's going to be two and all of mine are, I would consider probably slight reaches. 
So I probably want to, this is aspirational. I wish we could get Garrett Mitchell. I don't know that they'd be willing to give up Garrett Mitchell, um, but he's a center fielder from the Brewers, real speedy athlete, the kind of guy the Royals really like in center field a lot of the time. His defense is going to be probably his biggest tool, um, he, he, but he's got a good walk rate as well. So pretty good approach. The problem is he hits too many ground balls. He's also had some um, health concerns, and I don't mean like injury concerns. He was diagnosed pretty late in his life, I think in college, with type 1 diabetes. And so there were some teams who weren't quite sure um, how that was going to affect him in the short term. Uh, and I, it seems like he's got that under control. It's not a big issue, but uh, it is obviously at the time that he was drafted, it was a concern. The reason, one of the reasons I think this might be doable is one, and this is something you always have to look at when you're looking trades, it has to be to a team that has a need for a guy like Andrew Benintendi and a, a team that uh, is in the hunt, is going to want to add something. The Brewers are playing Christian Yelich in left field, but he can play right field as well. They don't really have a set DH that that goes all the time, so you could put Benintendi in left and make Yelich your DH. But here's the other reason. The Brewers have Sal Freelick, your boy, Sal Freelick. My boy. Mark wanted the Royals to draft last year. Uh, he, If they believe well, he no, can no, play... No, 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 to be clear, to be clear, I wanted them to take Khalil Watson last year. That's I true. liked Sal Freelick before the draft, though. That's true. And Khalil Watson has been quite the player. But if they think Freelick can play center field, which a lot of people did coming out of Boston College, um, then Mitchell's kind of expendable. There's no point in having him, because Freelick is the better offensive prospect. But I think he's an interesting guy. Plus speed, uh, good arm from center field. So, and the Royals are thin in, in center field in their minor league system. So, two of the guys I've been talking about today are center field prospects. That's a good one. I like the idea of getting that. I'm going to look more on, I, into that I, guy. I, I looked at this one and I thought this was probably the most realistic one of the three that I put out there. The one that I'm going to put out there is I think very realistic, but it may not be extremely satisfying for Royals fans. Uh, I chose Otto Lopez, who is a sort of utility infielder for the or he's a utility player i'm not gonna call him an infielder because he actually plays a lot of outfield for the in the blue jay system he's struggling a little bit this year but he's ha- he has a good hit tool some on base ability uh i think a, a good athlete a really good athlete a guy who can sort of just a good baseball player and the royals like sort of position versatility and i thought to myself this is a good player for them because they really don't know where they might need someone in the future. And Lopez seems like a guy who could fill a lot of spots, especially if Alex Zumwalt can work with him and unlock some of that offensive potential, which I really think he could. He seems like a candidate who has some decent raw power. It's not great, but it's not Nicky Lopez bad. And if Zumwalt could work with him to make sure he's swinging at premium pitches, you can maybe unlock a little bit more of that power, get the hit tool up just a little bit more and, find some more consistency offensively. That's what I think a more realistic get for the Royals. The Blue Jays could need somebody like Andrew Benintendi. They're 26th in weighted runs created plus from their left fielders this year at 80, which is 20% below league average. They're still in the hunt in the AL East, though the Yankees are doing quite well. And so uh, if they're hoping to catch a wild card or if they're hoping to catch the Yankees in some way, it might be worth their while to go ahead and trade Andrew Benintendi. They have a really young infield and young core of players anyway. A guy like Lopez isn't really going to, or is going to have trouble, I should say, cracking the roster in in Toronto in a significant way. And so might as well go ahead and give him up because right now he looks like a bench player for the Blue Jays. They unlock some of his offense. He could be more than that for the Royals. The, the tough thing for Andrew Benintendi here too is, especially as the Royals look to trade him, he can only play left field. 
That he plays a good it. left field, though, but he can only he play. He plays a solid left field, okay? No, it's, uh, it would, yeah, solid. Above play. average. We'll call it above average, okay? You know, with the DH in both both leagues now, I guess you could cycle him through a DH position if there was another guy that you really needed to play left field. Uh, but, yeah, he's not going to be a guy that's – so that is going to limit the number of teams that, that are looking for an Andrew Benintendi. But maybe the Brewers in Toronto will. That'd be great. That would be great, wouldn't it? Next I would up, love we have, to get Garrett Mitchell. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Next, we have uh, Whit Merrifield on the docket. Now, we, we've been talking about trading Whit Merrifield for two years, three years now. But <laughs> at this point, it only it makes so much sense. It's insane. I don't think they're going to do it because they have some weird, weird connection with him. That's like, hey, we want you to just sit in the clubhouse and spin yarns about your wisdom. I don't fucking know. We're going to bury you under this field, man. Yeah. <laughs> after, after your playing career, we're going to give you the team. Um, and so... <laughs> Yeah, I don't get it exactly what their thing is with Whit Merrifield, but Mike, who do you think we could get in return for him, and who might we send him to? Uh, the guy that I would look at most is a guy named Landon Knack, a right-handed pitcher for the Dodgers. He's only 24 years old. Um, he's got really, really good. He's a guy that came out, and when he was drafted, was known as kind of a command guy, a soft-throwing right-handed pitcher uh, with with plus-plus command. We're talking, I think he gets a 70 grade for command. But his fastball has ticked up a little bit in the last year. So it's it's a slightly better than average fastball. It's probably a 55-grade fastball at this point. Above average slider, above average change, and a below average curveball at this point. Uh, I, he kind of strikes me as a John Heasley type, honestly. Uh, but probably with even better command than what Heasley has. He's, his numbers haven't matched those uh, pitches yet, those tools. 4.26 ERA in just 16 innings pitched in double A this so far this year. So he hasn't pitched a whole lot, but I feel like that's the kind of guy that might have a little bit of a lower floor for you moving forward. And you can never have too many guys that have four pitches and throw strikes. Yeah. That's a huge uh, thing for them. And honestly, it'd be interesting to get somebody into this pitching mix who doesn't walk people that that's yeah, all that's I really, a real I, I'm command. just interested to see that's what that looks like. Command guy. Legit yeah. command guy. I mean, we have that Granky who's a legit command guy, but whose stuff has now we basically thought maybe on Zerba was going to be that. I don't know. His command has gone down this year. So no, he's I, not. I just that. don't know. Yeah. It's yeah. Is and it Drew so, Parrish? I don't, you know, maybe it, uh, it'd be interesting just to see. I, I, I find that like a, an appealing idea. And you got to remember for Whit Merrifield, who is not, who is 33 years old, the wrong side of 30, who has, you know, some money on his contract, not a ton, but more than you, you would see in, in some, for some other guys, uh, it's not going to be the huge return that you might get for someone else. So that's probably a decent sense of what you might actually get. The other thing about this trade is that the Dodgers are really deep at start in starting pitching, not just at the major league level, but also in the minors. So even though he looks like a really good prospect, he was like the third or fourth pitcher starting pitcher in their system. And like, I think he might've just been in their top 10, uh, maybe just outside. I can't remember, but yeah, he's not, he's in a stack system where it may be tough for him to get to the majors in a, in a short period of time. I'm going to go with a guy who's a little bit aspirational. Uh, I think, I think this is a reach a little bit, but I would love to see the Royals get him. His name is Jordan Adams. He was an angels first round pick actually, but that was all the way back in 2018 and has his prospect status has since waned quite a bit. Uh, a great athlete, 80 grade runner, Jordan Adams is, and he was a real raw high school toolsy guy coming out. His offense, his hitting has never really quite come around yet. Um, but if they could unlock it, he's like, I think he could be Michael A. Taylor right now, roughly, or he could be roughly Michael A. Taylor right now. Maybe not Michael A. Taylor because he's, he's only at high A 
at this point. He's 22 years old, playing at high A. But if they can develop, again, they should lean into their strengths when they're thinking about who to trade for, and their strengths are developing hitters. So if you can unlock this guy's offensive potential, you have a just a steal of a trade for, what, a season and a half of Whit Merrifield. You get a guy who could be really, really good. At the very least, he's a good defensive outfielder, good center fielder, a lot of tools, can run really well. Just help him work on his approach, help him develop that hit tool, and he could have something really significant. And the Angels kind of need somebody like Whit Merrifield. A lot of teams could use someone like Whit Merrifield because he can play a few different positions. But the Angels are 21st in second base production offensively uh, in weighted runs created plus at 78, which is really bad. You could plug Whit Merrifield in there if he stays hitting the way he has lately and plays you a gold glove second base. That's really the kind of guy you tr- you target in trades. Like who's somebody who's hot right now and we know is going to be at the very least good for us defensively. That's Whit Merrifield to be good on the base path for him too. The Angels seem like at least a somewhat viable trade partner there. The third player we're going to talk about is one that many people may not want to trade, but we have to throw him in there because he makes sense and to some degree to trade. And that's Brad Keller. He's going to be a free agent at not in 2024, I think. Yeah. 2024. Yeah. And he's a guy who has at least some value on the trade market. I think he might have more value than people even realize because some team is going to realize we can take Brad Keller. Who's pretty good right now. Maybe, maybe, maybe major league average and kind of a workhorse. And we can make him even better because right now he basically only throws two pitches. Some team's going to realize that they can turn him into something significant. The question is who, Mike, who you got for who you think that Brad Keller could end up with? Well, I put him in the division here. <laughs> so Never happens. Never, never going happens, to happen. I was like, yeah, let's give it a shot here. Mostly because of the fact that the twins are leading the division. They're going to be in the hunt. They need some starting pitching help. And they had a guy that I really liked. And so I was like, I want to do that one. It's Misael Urbina. And I'm sure I mispronounced that name, probably butchered that thing. But he's a 20-year-old center fielder from Minnesota. He was an international signee a few years ago. He's still a project. He's still only in single A. But that's the kind of guy you're going to get for a Brad Keller. You're going to get a guy who's not a finished project product. You're going to get a guy that you're going to have to do some work for. He's got a, the reason that I really liked him is he's got a really plus approach. He walks almost at the same rate as he strikes out. His strikeout rate is lower than 20%. His walk rate is above, I think, I think it's almost 13%. And so um, he's, he's a guy that comes in right away and you know, okay, at least he's going to be swinging at good pitches. He's going to have the value of walking, which is good. He can play center field. He has built some muscle, so he has uh, developed a little bit more power, though that's probably never going to be his game. And so, yeah, that's the kind of guy that I would like to see for a Brad Keller, some guy who's in low A that you feel like can be a projectable center fielder for the future if, say, a Nick Lofton doesn't work out there, or maybe this guy does that and you can put Lofton at a different spot. But I thought uh, Urbina was a good good uh, go-get for the value of Brad Keller. It would be, except in division trades never happen. And Dayton Moore is like a thousand <laughs> years old inside of his mind. And so in his mind, you can't do it, but whatever. Uh, I decided to go out of division because I know what I'm talking about. Mike, I think the Royals could possibly trade him to the San Francisco Giants. Here's why. The Giants have already had success taking one Royals cast off and making him a much better pitcher. <laughs> They're looking at us going... Just whoever they get rid of that. Throws <laughs> exactly. Ball, whoever they're here. putting on the block, we'll take them, you know, because <laughs> they know, Hey, there's stuff left in there. And so right. the giants are, the giants are also getting the fewest innings pitched among, among their starters of, of, or I'm sorry, among the fewest pitches innings pitched from their starters of any team in the league, not the worst, but they're, they're down there. And that may they're be a plan the by the way. 
that may be their plan. They may, they may not care if they're getting innings from their starters, but one of them goes down, two of them go down, or you just want to supplement that rotation, you know, moving forward. It's a good plan to trade for Brad Keller, especially if you think, Hey, maybe we could put Keller in the bullpen and have him roast for us this year. And then next year, when we still have him, we develop him into a, a legit starting pitcher by helping him come up with a third pitch or changing his pitch mix or working on something with him. I think it's a brilliant idea from the Giants, who are a brilliant team when it comes to constructing a roster and making guys as good as they can possibly be. The guy I want from their organization, the guy I think we could get from their organization, is a guy named Ryan Murphy. He's a right-handed pitcher, 22 years old. He's in high A right now, and he's got some decent numbers in high A. Uh, in some limited innings pitch. I think he's only thrown 16 innings or something like that this, this season so far, but high strikeouts strikes out a lot of guys got good stuff, a four picks pitch mix, which I really like a guy who's already got four pitches for us. Good command grades. He may walk a little too many right now, but the the command grades are good at least. So I'd like to see them take a chance on a guy from an organization. We know does a good job developing pitchers who has four pitches and good command. Let's well, yeah, I mean, we'll just say, Hey, just don't listen to anybody in this organization. Do just it, remember the stuff. What were, they, what, were they, what were yeah. they asking you to do over there? Can you can you write a detailed plan about what I don't know, what they were asking you to do over there with the Giants? <laughs> just real, just write a, just just start writing. Uh, you know, Murphy could be valuable in multiple ways. <laughs> and so uh, and so, yeah, I, I think he's a he's got some potential. He's 22 years old in high A. You don't you don't never know. You always need more starting pitching. And so, a guy who maybe at the very least could be a um, a bullpen guy, but if nothing else, give you some innings as a starter, maybe a back end guy, maybe if he ends up really finding it with a couple of those pitches, uh, mid, mid rotation guy. The Royals have a full slate of games this week. No days off for them, but it's a long homestand, and we're looking to see how many people are going to be in the stands during this homestand. They're trying to give tickets away, basically, but we'll see if they end up packing it in for the Toronto Blue Jays and the Baltimore Orioles, who we know have huge national fan bases. Mike, Please tell us what the Toronto Blue Jays are doing this year and how the Royals are going to fare against them. Do you remember uh, that guy we played with from Canada? Yeah, I loved him. Uh, DJ Chaletti. Yeah. Excellent human Blue being. Jays fan. Uh, Great baseball player, too. Yeah. And, and just a big Blue Jays fan. You know, go Canada. The Blue Jays are actually like my second favorite team right now because they're super exciting to watch. Get this, though. They are 31 and 22, nine games above 500. And they're still seven and a half back in the AL East. That is it's a different division over there in the East. No kidding. Good golly. The Yankees are running away. And the Blue Jays, who are a very good team, would be smoking in the AL Central. They can't, uh, they're, it's going to be tough for them to take over the Yankees at this point. Look at a wild card, though. They'll get they All you got to do is so, get in. That's right. All you got to do is get in. So in the first game, we'll have uh, Daniel Lynch versus Ross Stripling, a 32-year-old right-handed, soft-tossed and righty out of uh, Texas A&M. He's got a 4.22 ERA and a 1.28 whip. He's a command guy. He's a pitch mix guy. He throws a, a fastball, a change-up slider curveball. They're hitting the fastball pretty good with a 553 slugging against him, so hopefully we can sit fastball, though he mixes it up a lot. He's a grizzled vet. This guy knows what he's doing. I really am more looking at hopefully seeing a bounce back from Lynch in that game. Uh, in the second game, we should have Keller versus Alec Manoa, 24-year-old right-hander out of West Virginia. He's doing really well this year, 1.98 ERA, and he's got a whip under one. Mid-90s fastball, slider changeup guy. He throws the fastball almost 60% of the time, and that's something in this series we're going to see quite a bit because in the next game, uh, Singer, Brady Singer, will be going against, and I'm going to butcher this name, I'm going Yusei Kikichu. 
you're close. It's it's Kikuchi. Kikuchi. Um, yeah, you were. You, you were, say you, Kikuchi. I think you got the first one right. Yeah, there you go. Did buddy. I really? You say I think it, so. I think so. Okay. I don't know either. But you say Kikuchi, a 30 year old left handed pitcher from Japan, 3.91 ERA, 1.37 WHIP. He's another fastball guy. He throws mid 90s fastball slider changeup cutter, and the fastball about 53 percent of the time. Uh, he's probably due for some regression as he's bottom of the league in walk percentage and barrels. So hopefully we see that regression in that game and we barrel some of those balls into open spots of the field or over the fence. The Royals are known for taking walks as well. So that should be very uh, <laughs> to their advantage in that, in that one. Uh, after the Toronto leaves town, uh, probably with their tails between their legs, uh, the Baltimore Orioles will come in and we will get a nice four game stretch against the, against them. The Orioles are 23 and 33 last in the AL East. So they're staring up at the Toronto Blue Jays and the New York Yankees. If you remember from the series we played against them earlier this year, Austin Hayes was really on a tear and destroyed the Royals during that season. He's still on a tear. He's he's got a 137 OPS plus. Uh, Trey Mancini also keeps hitting for them, which is great for him. Those two guys and maybe one other guy, Santander, are having okay hitting seasons. The rest of their lineup, not very good at all. One of the exciting players they have, though, is they have their own young phenom prospect in Adley Rutschman, their catcher, who we get to see. He was injured the last time they came. He hadn't been called up yet. Um, but he, along with Bobby Wood Jr., were seen as the top two prospects in Major League Baseball coming into the season. He's been struggling so far, as we know a lot of guys do with their transition to Major League Baseball, but it'll be interesting to see him behind the plate and in the batter's box for the Orioles. Early on in the year, the Orioles were getting some surprise pitching uh, performances from some of their guys. Most of that has faded at this point. Uh, Jorge Lopez is still pitching well out of their bullpen, uh, but their rotation will come in with mostly over four ERAs and some of them over six. And so struggling in the rotation mightily for the Baltimore Orioles. They're not very good. The Royals are not very good. This should be a real barn burner of a four-game set there. Yeah, they have a better record than we do, and they play in the AL East with the Yankees, the Blue Jays, and the Rays. Yeah. Imagine that. Imagine <laughs> that. We'll end this week like we end every week with our Just a Bit Outside segment, where we talk about something that is interesting to us outside the world of baseball. Mike, sometimes he leaves his house, and when he does, he has to experience things. He has no choice. And so, Mike, tell us what's interesting to you outside the world of baseball, though I notice on the rundown, it is not a thing that's outside your house. No, it is not. I hate leaving my house. Ooh, boo. Outside sucks. Uh, it's the women's college world series. I, I told you guys, uh, earlier in this season, I've been starting to watch uh, softball college softball. And so the women's college world series is going on right now. Great games, great teams, great athletes. Um, so I've been watching a lot of that and I highly encourage everybody else to watch a little women's college world series. There's a lot of, uh, they're, they're not to the, uh, men's college world series yet, but, uh, regional they will soon. I think they're in regionals right now, but that'll be going on too. I, I mean, I, that's fun too. Uh, but I like I like the softball, to be honest with you. So uh, a lot of people do. Game. It's it's tearing up my timeline right now. People are talking about college, women's college softball a ton on my timeline. So it must well, be something a, that people are really getting into. Yeah, it's a shorter game and it, it tends to be a little bit more fast paced. And so it's it can be fun to watch uh, the team that I really wanted to make it in uh, didn't. But um, it's still just good to watch. All right. Another thing that's good to watch is the city that I've been watching for the last couple of days. I'm talking about the Big Easy, baby. I am down in New Orleans right now. Drove down here 12 hours over two days. And then we were here uh, staying in an Airbnb down in, uh, well, I don't even know the area. It's the, the Garden the, District. The, district no, the, that's not that's not where we're staying. You guys um, are in the Garden District? We're, no, we're north of Magazine Street. 
Uh, I don't know exactly what it's called, but it's a wonderful neighborhood. Uh, been getting in my uh, obligatory eat a whole bunch of New Orleans food. So I did some of that last night, tried a crab mm. cake, had some shrimp. I ate this. The coolest thing about this trip so far is when we got here, we ran into the mother of the person who rented us the Airbnb. She like cleans the place for him mm. uh, before people come in. And she's a longtime New Orleans resident a very interesting person. And so she sat and talked to us for a long time about like different places we should try. She told us her backstory, which was very compelling and very interesting. Uh, it involves teaching at Harvard, being a playboy bunny and a whole <laughs> bunch of other th- owning an art gallery. It was, a I, I make, she could have made the whole damn thing up, but it was worth listening to either way. Cause it was wild. <laughs> um, but these are the types of people I like to meet when I go on vacation. So they can sort of give me the inside dope. Let me know what's up. I accidentally went down to Bourbon Street on my first night here. It was a Saturday night. I drove down into there. It was a frigging nightmare. It was a, it was a circus down there. People were getting mad at me. It was a wild, wild thing. Uh, but so far, so good. Started out having fun, seeing some stuff, going to the World War II Museum tomorrow. That's going to be a lot of fun. Interested in that. Um, and so just kicking off a great week here in the big easy, I already recommend coming down to new Orleans. You're not that you need my recommendation. Everybody recommends it. But the thing I am surprised about is how much fun stuff there is to do. Even if you're not doing the stuff typically associated with new Orleans, I don't drink. My mom does drink. Um, that's who I'm here with. I brought my mother on vacation. She does. She drinks. <laughs> hey man, it's, it's, it's a I thing know, to her and I do. It is, it is. She's yeah. living her golden years. She deserves a vacation. Um, and so yeah, she drinks, but she doesn't drink like, woohoo, let's get wasted, you know? Um, and so, you know, we're not out on Bourbon Street going nuts or anything like that. Uh, but there's so much cool, interesting stuff to do here still, even if that's not what you're into. We're going to go to City Park. We're going to go to the Botanical Gardens there, the museums. We're going to play golf here. We're going to go to Magazine Street. We're going to do all this other really fun stuff. There's a big art scene. We're going to go do all this really cool stuff that, uh, that we're going to find really fun and interesting. And so, yeah, the big easy. It's not just for coming down here to party and get beads thrown at you. Yeah. So when I went, Morgan and I went a few years ago over, I think it was over Thanksgiving weekend, wasn't it? As is tradition. Um, But it was absolutely wonderful. And like the very first day we were there, I think we got there at like night, slept. And then, no, actually we got there in the morning from a flight and then uh, went to the Airbnb and we were like, well, you know, it's, it's about 1030 in the morning. Let's let's just go down to Bourbon Street just to see what it is. Went down there, had a good time there, but that was really our only experience in the in the the quarter. Other than we went to a place called Frenchman Street, which was a lot more low key than Bourbon Street. Uh, we are partiers in a sense, but we didn't, we're too old to do the the hardcore partying stuff. So uh, we had a great time. But walking Magazine Street's great. I just wish we had done something on the river. We we didn't get to do anything on the river. And I'm not like a water person, but you know, I don't know what you want to. Oh yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, they have those paddle boat or not paddle. Yeah. There's those, there's like boat tours, the river yeah, tours. I'd have taken like one of those or I'm not a big a tours a guy. Yeah. Maybe I'm not you a big know. tours guy. Uh, and so I don't want other people involved in my experience. It sounds weird, but uh, I don't want to do things with other people. And so, you know, we're going to do a lot of stuff, just solo styles, but yeah, there's a ton to do down here. That's a lot of fun. Sometimes it's more fun and than the watching food. the Royals lose. Oh, obviously the food is, is incredible. Yeah. I'm still waiting to get my first beignet. I'm going to eat a, I'm going to eat my weight in beignets. It's going to be great. Um, Cause they're basically just donuts and yeah. come, on. <laughs> come on people. I know my way around a donut. I also know my way around Royals baseball. I also know that I'm excited to watch them play. I'm going to squeeze in watching Royals games somehow. I'll do it. Cause that's how devoted I am. Hopefully the Royals have a great week this week. We'll see. But until then be good to each other and go Royals. <laughs>